When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, Rich Hoffman, the Sixers beat reporter for The Athletic, joins me to discuss who is Ben Simmons as a basketball player. So much discussion that we've had is all about the trade and what assets were given and taken away and is the trade good from a sort of asset allocation standpoint. I wanted to find out from Rich who Ben Simmons was as a basketball player before he went away on his sabbatical. And of course, we also talk about Seth Curry and Andre Drummond as well. But before that, intro music is going to hit. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Ben Simmons' intro press conferences in that Kings game. The Nets won, broke the streak. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. to the glue guys this is mike here brian is not here right now this is a solo show just for the moment but coming up very shortly rich hoffman sixers reporter for the athletic he joins me to talk about ben simmons as a basketball player seth curry and andre drummond what the nets are getting in that deal and we've already seen seth curry and andre drummond how exciting was that the nets broke the streak i'm recording this on tuesday night and oh man, I've been basking in the glory of the past 24 hours. Honestly, I, we, we can joke about, you know, I love to joke, big fan of joking, but the Kings game, I mean, what a release. Of course, it broke the, what was the 11 game losing streak? It broke that. Uh, and the team, I don't have like the, the numbers in front of me in terms of total assists and how that compares to the season. I'm going to guess they were on average. They had about 25 assists. They had exactly 25 assists in that game against the Kings. But man, was that ball moving so much quicker. It looked like the Kenny Atkinson teams when the team was much better at sharing the ball, when it was so much less ISO heavy. Bruce Brown was fantastic. 19 points, six assists, five steals, three blocks, six rebounds. I think they put up a stat that like, that was the first kind of performance like that for a net with the steals and blocks, assists, rebounds, and points since Derek Coleman. I mean, what a, what a fantastic stat. The yes on Nets crew pulled. But and I talk about this with Rich. Man, was it exciting to see Seth Curry play. Drummond I was very happy with. Comparing him to Nick Claxton in terms of body type, there's such a dramatic difference in the two. And that's going to matter. Being big matters if you're going to play Joel Embiid or you know Giannis Antetokounmpo or let's say the Nuggets get to the finals and the Nets get there, you know. Jokic, you know, Drummond may not be the best defender in the NBA, but just being that big is an impediment to those other big men. But Seth Curry was fantastic. 23 points, seven rebounds from Curry. On 18 shots, he had 23 points, three for eight from three, and five assists. 
and Rich touches on this. And if you you know we've been watching basketball, if you've been watching basketball and you've seen Seth Curry play, you realize he's just always been much more than just a shooter, right? That I always kind of use this comparison, but like Bryn Forbes, Bryn Forbes is just a shooter, and that's also why he's a minimum guy. Kyle Korver, as great as Kyle Korver was, Nets assistant coach, basically was just a shooter. Uh, he was such a great shooter at a time when shooting still isn't caught up to where it is now that. You know, he had this gravitational pull. Zach Lowe wrote so brilliantly about Kyle Korver's gravitational pull. I believe it was on the Hawks. Curry is more than a shooter. You know, he is a great shooter, one of the best in the NBA, but he has the ball handling. He has that passing gene. He isn't going to be the guy running your offense, but at times he's going to run sets. He did it in Philly. He did do it in Philly, and he'll do it here in Brooklyn, uh, particularly if they don't get, you know, a real backup point guard to come in. But, God, it was so exciting to see, and I think that, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the the Ben Simmons press conference. Ben Simmons's quotes with Steve Nash, Bruce Brown, all these guys in the locker room, you can tell that there was a distinct sort of release of emotion post-trade deadline with Harden being gone and Ben Simmons coming in. And it really has nothing to do with necessarily Ben Simmons, but it must have just have gotten so sort of... Um, passive aggressively nasty in uh in the Nets locker room over these past few weeks. Jake Fisher, friend of the show, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report wrote a really fantastic story titled Inside Kevin Durant's Role in Brooklyn Nets James Harden Trade. There are so many good nuggets in here and I suggest everyone read it. I I retweeted out from our at BK Glue Guys account. But really it paints the portrait of I mean it's the most distinct story from a Brooklyn Nets point of view on the trade. And it's not just like what Sean Marks was thinking. It was really more inside the locker room, what was going on and what was happening between Duran and and Harden, Harden and Irving, maybe the rest of the team versus Harden. And it really kind of, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much this truly matters, but in it, it really lays out this picture of James Harden, the guy who goes flies out of town to go clubbing in Vegas. If they're in Salt Lake City, he'll fly out and he'll come back and, you know, he's worse for the wear and he's not as in shape and all that stuff. It does really paint the picture that Harden was just checked out and really wasn't committed to the team concept. The one thing I'll say is that James Harden has seemed to have always been that way in his career. And when he was putting up like 38 points per game and nearly a triple double and winning MV- winning an MVP, he was probably still flying to Vegas still flying to the locales that he wanted to in between games to go to strip clubs or the club or just go out, you know, whatever he wants to do. So I, I don't know, like, it, it is salacious to read. And and Jake isn't putting it in there just for it to be salacious. He's painting this picture of what it was like with James Harden and the Nets at the end. I just don't know if James Harden's social habits can truly be blamed. But there is one circumstance in here that you know, maybe we'll reach out to Jake and we'll get more clarification on friend of the show, Jake Fisher. It talks about this time. I think it was this April game against the Knicks where, and I'll quote the story. As last year's regular season wound toward the playoffs, there was some form of miscommunication when Harden was scheduled for morning treatment on his bothersome hamstring, sources said. After another late night out, Harden told Brooklyn staffers his leg felt fine, but after four minutes and 22 seconds of action, Against the Knicks on April 5th, he re-aggravated the injury that eventually sidelined him against the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So that paints a picture of like, hey, he was out late one night, 
he missed a scheduled treatment and then he ended up getting hurt in the game where he he later should have had the treatment. Okay. So that that is bad. But again, I really I don't know if his social habits can truly be blamed for everything. I think it really gets down to and this this story illustrates it and others have. Harden wanted to play his way. The sacrifice that that once was mentioned much a lot of times about from Sean Marks, from Steve Nash, the sacrifice that even James Harden himself said when he first was traded to Brooklyn. I'm gonna like he was going to sacrifice, and he did when he first started playing in Brooklyn. But this season, that sacrifice wasn't there, and it wasn't there because you know there's a lack of talent around him. Kevin Durant was there, but then Kevin Durant gets hurt. Of course, Kyrie was out for the first half of the season because the Nets didn't let him play with the vaccine issue. The Nets acquiesced to that point, partially because of Kevin Durant's lobbying and James Harden also, of course, wanting Kyrie to play. And then there was times when it was just Harden, right? Harden by himself with Bruce Brown, James Johnson, all those players, no Joe Harris. So, you know, we could talk about what kind of system that we would like the Nets to play. But ultimately, I mean, the most effective form of basketball with just James Harden is like, hey, James Harden, here's the ball. Do whatever you can with it. Make the best thing happen. Frankly, though, it was ugly to watch. It made the team very unlikable. (laughs) Um, Over this past month, it was really hard to watch Nets games when it was just Harden and the collection of talent around him. And it's clear from Jake Fisher's story and others that Kevin Durant sided with Steve Nash on the way they want to play basketball. And here's an important point about Durant. Durant's in Oklahoma City. He has Serge Ibaka and, you know, he has Russell Westbrook and they have a very talented team. Of course, they used to have James Harden. They have a very talented team. And but if you remember those offenses, Westbrook played the way he does, which is head down charges towards the basket. Right. Duran is this transcendent basketball figure, but was stifled somewhat by being in this system where there really wasn't a system. And he went to Golden State, and I think it's, you know, of course he went there to win a championship because they were by far the best team. But he stated at the time, and I believed it because of how much of a hooper he is, he went to Golden State because the way that they played basketball, that they shared the ball, that there was a system, that there was movement. But even when he was in a Golden State, you know, they ended up playing much more iso ball with him than he wasn't just fitting into a system. But there was still some remnants of that warrior system around him that made the team much more attractive to watch than what he was doing in OKC, much more free-flowing, the, the ball moving much more in between hands than just staying in Durant or just staying in a guard's hands, right? He comes here to Brooklyn. He uh, Kenny Atkinson then gets fired, and he is the influential figure for bringing in Steve Nash. Steve Nash, who was in Golden State as an advisor, he gets brought over to become the head coach right? Durant sided with Nash on this issue. It seemed like that was the line. There was the Harden way of basketball, ISO heavy. And then there was the Steve Nash way, which derives from the seven seconds or less Suns, derives from these Golden State Warrior teams. Mike D'Antoni, obviously a hugely central figure, and he was, you know, an assistant last year with the Nets. And again, it goes back to the comments, comments from Ben Simmons, who's coming here and has a smile on his face, the comments from the, the Nets who are still here and saying how much better the locker room is now. I think that literally Bruce Brown said that. And Durant, who, when given the opportunity to pick James Harden to, to play with him in the All-Star game, even though Durant won't play in it, but pick him on his team, 
he decided not to pick James Harden. And Durant basically allowing sort of like whoever's speaking for him in these sources, if we're to believe that some of these are coming from Durant's camp, are allowing the narrative to be pushed out there that, hey, I did not hate James Harden. He didn't want to be here, so we had to let him go. Uh, it's it's informative, and it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm sure the narrative is going to change 15 times before the season ends. It does matter <laughs> that Kevin Durant was behind this decision, and I mean that in a good way. Because I don't know if you're paying attention to what's happening with the Lakers, but it seems like, I believe Dave McMenamin from ESPN reported this, that Anthony Davis and LeBron James were not behind the the moves that Rob Palenka made at the deadline, meaning the no moves that Palenka made. So basically, LeBron and AD, who run the team on some degree, didn't agree with the guy who actually runs the team, which is Rob Palenka. Anyways, uh, this is coming out on Wednesday morning. Next game, of course, tonight. And then they go to Washington, or they play at home against the Wizards, and then all-star break. Brian and I may have another pod on on Friday just to get one final thought in, but most likely we're just going to let it sit and hop back on in a mo- on Monday next week. Thank you all for listening. Coming up is a really good interview with Rich Hoffman. Rich has covered the team for many, many years. He's one of the best, and he was really great at breaking down who Ben Simmons was as a basketball player. So we'll do this quick break, coming back, myself and Rich Hoffman talking about Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond. All right, joining me now is Rich Hoffman. Rich covers the 76ers for The Athletic. Um, We were joking about this is your second podcast today, but obviously it's been a busy, I mean, gosh, many, many weeks for you, pretty much since the start of the season You've been talking about, hey, where's Ben Simmons going to go? And now you know. How do you feel that you're done all the drama, that it's over? Yes, I would say from a personal standpoint, Mike, I uh, I feel pretty good that the Ben Simmons saga is over. I mean, it's uh, that there was a decent amount of this for me. I know Sixers fans are excited to get James Harden. Uh, for me, the fact that it's just over in general, that's a non- trivial amount of my uh of my feeling on this so yeah it was i mean it was just such a strange situation and honestly like the fact that this is over in the middle of this season and we don't have to worry about like what are they going to do this summer yeah that's uh personally that's a good thing for me i would say (laughs) why why do you think it happened i mean I have a good idea of why it happened now it seems like james harden pretty clearly put out the blinkers and said hey, I don't want to be here anymore, here being Brooklyn. Um, Are you surprised that it did happen at the deadline? It didn't wait until the offseason? Because it's a dramatic change to say we're bringing in Harden and we're getting rid of, more importantly, Seth Curry in this moment. Are you surprised that it happened in season? I'm surprised. I would say like in the last week or so, I wouldn't have been as surprised just because the noise became overwhelming. But yeah, I mean – you know, even when Harden was linked to the Sixers before then, you just thought like, well, why are the Nets going to do that right now? You know, they have this, you know, they have this big three that realistically probably would have won the championship last year if they all had stayed healthy and, you know, they, they can't get these guys on the floor. Um, I think from the Sixers standpoint, they, I think they were comfortable doing it in the off season and they were Part of whatever leverage they had was to say they were comfortable in doing it in the offseason. They wanted to do this now. They, I, I mean, just from the 
the standpoint of not having to move Tobias Harris and and do like four or five different transactions to maybe even open up the cap space for James Harden and just like the rest of the season for the Sixers, it would have stunk. Like, I mean, they, they would have had no chance in the playoffs. None. Like, I know Joel Embiid is playing at such a crazy level. He has a chance to win MVP, I think, uh, and deservedly so. They didn't have enough. If Ben Simmons wasn't going to play for them the rest of the year, the playoffs would have been – they would have been a team that would have – maybe they would have won a round if they had a, a good matchup, but it would have stunk because you knew there was a ceiling on it. I'm not saying they're uh, title contenders now, but they actually have a chance now. So I think from their standpoint, getting Harden in, having the ability to kind of see what it looks like with Embiid for a little while and maybe next year fit the pieces around them a little bit better. I think there there was a lot of uh, – they wanted to get this done internally right now. This is way off topic, and I apologize. But the net, the 76ers need shooting. Like they need shooting and now they also need a backup big. <laughs> there's there's a famous podcaster and ESPN commentator who used to play in Philly. Are Philly fans like begging JJ Redick to come back and play for the 76ers or is that not is there not this like fervent uh group on Twitter that tweets at JJ Redick every day ask cuz I mean I, I was looking at their lineup when you know post trade but before Harden came on and like it it's glaring now that they they need a, another shooter on the floor particularly with Harden coming in yeah and i mean the the fan base i've seen jj's uh i've seen his likes on twitter already he's uh he's been uh he's been liking posts on people wanting him to come back to philadelphia yeah i mean i think like throwing seth curry and andre drummond into the trade is evidence of what I just said. Like they wanted to get this done this season. And those guys were, um, those guys were consequential members of this rotation this year. And yeah, they would not have won a championship in the playoffs, but you know, they're 34 and 32, right? Or 22 right now. And I would say Seth Curry, especially at the beginning of the season was, I mean, he was their second most important player. Like they were running offense through him on a consistent basis. And Embiid hilariously said, uh, as he was kind of giving a dig at Ben Simmons when, uh, after he was leaving, his old rival, Andre Drummond, he was like, yeah, he's probably the best backup big we've had since I've been here. So those guys, they matter for sure. Um, they do need shooting. I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, when I hear, I think the backup big is kind of what they're looking for in the buyout market even more. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you can't have enough shooting around around uh, Joel Embiid and, and James Harden and the Sixers are a little bit of a question mark there. Like, I, I wonder if they have enough defense as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I guess it's theoretically possible. I haven't really, uh, dug into that too much. If JJ would want to, uh, if he'd, if he'd give up yelling at Stephen A. Smith on the air for, uh, for a couple <laughs> hours, but like, you know, as far as somebody who has a great relationship with Joel Embiid, it's a pretty good relationship with Doc Rivers from their time in, uh, in LA together. Uh, I, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I guess I should probably ask him about this now, uh, now, now that we're getting there. But, uh, Nets fans are like, Mike, why did you do this? Why, why would you bring this up now? JJ Reddick's going to sign with the 76ers and he's going to score 15 points a game in the, in the postseason against the Nets. Cause we know that the Nets and 76ers, they just have to play each other. There's, there's no other way it's going to happen. I don't, I don't care what sta- the standings say now. They're going to play each other in the postseason. If there are, in fact, you know, gods of basketball that control the fate 
of what we see in this league. They have to play each other. Let me ask you this. So part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is I want to ask you, who is Ben Simmons? Because I haven't seen Ben Simmons play basketball in so long. Neither have I, I don't remember what he looks like. Like, I, I remember the idea of Ben Simmons, and I remember his failings. But like I, I think, and you probably felt this too, as the trade discussions over the whole season were happening, and you're hearing the names that this guy named Ben Simmons could be traded for, it was like Darren Fox or whoever it was at various points. If I told you like two years ago that it, they the 76ers may only get these like rollish players, these sub all stars, people would think that's crazy. Well, they ended up getting James Harden, so that's good value for a guy who wasn't going to play basketball for you. But I don't remember what Ben Simmons is like on the court. What? Who is Ben Simmons, the basketball player? I'm going to ask you about him personally, too, and how he kind of fit into the emotional fabric of the team. But as a basketball player, who is he? I mean, it would take a long time to accurately describe it. I mean, he's a guy with tremendous strengths and, and pretty big weaknesses, too, that make building around him a little bit more of a challenge than it usually is for somebody who is as talented as him. He's a, I think so. So one thing about this Sixers team this year is that even as they continued to win at a pretty good pace, I I do think like when they played poorly, when they lost, even when they won, you could see the Ben Simmons size hole on the roster that basically Embiid had to make up by himself. Like he had to just completely go to another level for a lot of the season. I mean, I, you know, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me right now. The Sixers, they went from a good rebounding team to an absolutely horrible one, just like that. And I think Ben Simmons was a huge part of it because a lot of the same, pe- there's a lot of the same pieces that were here last year. I mean, they basically, they put George Niang in for Mike Scott, which is the same player for the most part. And then they brought in Andre Drummond over Dwight Howard, who's probably an upgrade as far as a rebounder is concerned. Uh, they just became so small and pretty unathletic on, on the perimeter. So like for whatever faults you would think uh, that, that Ben Simmons has, he's an amazing rebounder from the point guard position. He has a degree of defensive versatility that like, you know, I watched them play against DeMar DeRozan over the weekend. They won the game because Embiid scored a million points. They have nobody to guard him. And that would be, that's like, in the past, that's just easy. That's put Ben Simmons in on him. So he is a guy who has some major question marks on like, can he score on the half court? And that's always been his issue. And that's why he's always struggled in the playoffs. But in terms of like, just helping little parts of your team, your transition game, your passing, your rebounding, your defense. I, I think even though it's fair to be a little bit frustrated about his stagnation when he is not on the floor, you can see that the Sixers missed a lot of that. So he's a guy that does a lot of things well, and he does these very specific things not so well. But I will say for a team like the Nets, I understand why them above pretty much any other team would make that bet that, hey, this guy, these strengths, they can work with this group because we have the guys who can overcome what he doesn't bring to the table. As a defender, is he a lockdown, like you said, stick him on DeMar DeRozan type guy? Or is he more of like uh, really improved Robert Covington? By me saying that, it's like he's very switchable. He can guard a lot of different guys, but maybe not necessarily a lockdown mono mono type defender. Who Who is he as a defender? I think he's more of the lockdown mono mono type. And 
Um, I, I do think like there has been a little bit of talk, like could he play the five for the Nets? When the Sixers played him at the five, it wasn't something they did a ton. The, the results were not great. He's not like the Draymond Green type rim protector and the guy who uh, you know has like those backline instincts. He's, he's the guy you stick him on the best player. That's what you do. And he's going to make that like, look, sometimes the best players in this league, like Kevin Durant is one of them. Kawhi Leonard scored a lot of points against him in a playoff series, but he's going to make it hard for those guys. And, and he's, you know, I've seen Robert Covington in action too. Like he is the, the classic help defender who struggles one-on-one. I would say Ben probably leans pretty far in the other way where he's the guy who you put on the best score. He's the one-on-one defender. Not to say that he can't make some really good help defensive plays as well. Like he's got tremendous speed and those things, but he's more of the individual one-on-one defender, I would say. And the good news is you can legitimately guard him one to four. He can guard, it could be Kevin Durant or it could be Kyrie Irving. You put him on whoever that is, you know, it's a, he works the whole spectrum on that, uh, on that regard. One thing I'm interested in is, so everyone's, because we haven't seen Ben play in so long, is uh, we're projecting him to be sort of that Draymond Green type, both offensively and defensively, right? And the offense is what I'm wondering about. The The common thing I keep hearing is that him coming to the Nets to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the pressure will be off of him. And he can really just operate, he operate in the short role. He can operate more in sort of like fitting in spaces as opposed to being the dominant ball handler. But from what I remember, I felt like he wanted to be the dominant ball handler. He wanted to be the point guard. Is that true? I mean, it may be different now. Obviously, there's been a lot of time and he has gone through like, you know, mental health work and whether that translates to the basketball court, who can say? But what I remember is that this guy wanted the ball and he wanted to be sort of like, Yannisi, right? Like he wanted to to control the ball. He did want to pass, but he also wanted to, you know, score while charging to the hoop on some level, but not get fouled. He didn't <laughs> want to get fouled while he did it. So what what is he as a ball handler and a desire to be one? Throughout his career, I mean, there was one time, it was actually in the Orlando bubble, where Brett Brown on his last legs said, like, we're gonna make you the four and make you a screener. And we saw it for a couple games, obviously. That was like Shake Milton was the point guard. That team was not very good as as the starter. Like this is a different thing in Brooklyn. He's going to step into. Um, it has to happen that much. Ben Simmons got hurt like three games into that bubble too, so we didn't really get to see it. And then last year, Doc comes back, and yeah, he is the guy who brings the ball up the court. And in one aspect, like I think that, that can change to Brooklyn, like or can transfer to Brooklyn, like he's the guy you want to throw the ball to in transition because he just puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Uh, even if he does not want to get fouled, like you said, uh, but, but he he certainly can get out and push. Like the Sixers, they're the slowest team in the league this year too. That's another aspect of it that is uh, it's pretty glaring when you watch it. But yeah, he's always wanted to be the guy who brings the ball up. And I think compared to Draymond, he's more qualified to do that than him. He's more of a threat as a scorer. But in terms of like you know doing the short roll, like he can do that. I, I just we haven't really seen it that much. Uh, He's not also too like Draymond is always like the quick decision maker. Like he's throwing a pass like five seconds before, you know, anybody else even sees it. Ben is like the guy who like he likes to drive and kick. That's that's his game. And the best thing he's done throughout his career offensively, in my opinion. Now, I think he leans too far into this because he's not 
drawing fouls and scoring. He's excellent at driving and kicking for three-point shooters. That's the main thing he's looking for. Like, he gets into the paint, and he's looking to pass. Two guys are open, and the Nets have some very good three-point shooting around him. But, yeah, he's uh, this idea that, you know, he's going to be on the short roll at all times, I think he's perfectly qualified to do it, but it's not something we have seen a lot throughout his career. The ball has been in his hands a lot. How would you describe him? Um, sort of as like an emotional component of a team because Joella seems to be such a, a dominating presence. He's so funny, charismatic. Obviously, he's amazing on the basketball court, so like that translates over. What? Who is Ben Simmons like? I mean, you know, obviously you're not best friends with him. You you aren't in it. You you know you don't live with him. You don't know, but you covered him for many many years. What is he like, and how does he fit within a fabric of a team? Yeah, certainly not the outsized personality that Embiid is. Um, you know, I think he got along okay with his teammates. Like, I, I think, um, you know, there's a certain degree of uh, uh, cocky swagger that he has when things are going well. But I think, like, his teammates liked him enough. Like, it wasn't a, a problem on the court, you know. Um, was he, like, best friends with everybody? Eh, I'm not sure about that. It seemed like he kind of had his own, own crew in Philly. And, yeah, I mean, the personality is, like, he's uh, – despite the fact that he's really exciting as a player when things are going well and he's dunking and he's the fastest guy in the open court, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of pretty even keel when, uh, when, when he's off the floor. So, you know, I, I, I don't, here's the one thing that, that I do think like as much as Joel has kind of been trashing him, I, I think that's mostly because he's not playing this season. Like I think those two were not best friends, but I thought they developed a workable enough relationship. If Ben had made the necessary improvements or just the team made the necessary improvements to, uh, to become like championship level. I think it was an on court issue for Ben that kind of derailed that partnership. So, you know, how does he fit in with, with Kyrie Irving and, uh, and Kevin Durant? I I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but he certainly has all of the uh, incentive to make it work because like what he just did, like he, he sat out the entire season. That's uh, you know, I think at some point, like once you get traded, you better at least for a while make that work because you know, I want to get out of this situation and then you're a problem in the next one. I don't know, but, but I, I think he'll, I, I don't really think that'll be a problem for this team. Uh, will it work on the court? We'll see. Uh, I don't want to hold you for too much longer. So there's two other players that obviously moved. Seth Curry and Drummond. Let's start with Drummond. Because Seth Curry, I feel like we know, but I'll ask you about him too. Um, who is Andre Drummond at this point? Obviously, he had he had been a very productive player for a long time, and he became uh, sort of an object of buyout fascination last offseason. Or not last offseason, last season overall. Uh, and then he goes to Philly. Uh, he plays well as a backup. But who is he as a basketball player now in his career? He he's had a, you know for for the NBA nerds he's had kind of an interesting year to me just because he has been somebody who's had this huge role on losing basketball teams for such a long time he puts up he's like the classic good stats bad team guy and you know he had that buyout experience with the Lakers to the point where he signed a minimum contract with the Sixers this year and I was kind of wondering like how's he going to handle this role because he's qualified enough to be one of the 30 starting centers in the NBA. I think most people would agree with that. Uh, and I thought he handled it pretty well. Like he's not a, a perfect player by any means. I thought he struggled a little bit earlier this year when, uh, when Embiid was out with COVID for about three weeks and the Sixers got lit up defensively, 
But honestly, I thought he did his job pretty well. Like you saw him over the last couple of weeks. Like he, first off, he's a little bit better defensively than I thought. He's got like good hands in the pick and roll and drop coverage. He's pretty active when that happens. He's obviously a killer offensive and defensive rebounder. Now, will he throw the, he's, he's a pretty good passer too. But it, it's pretty funny. He throws the occasional Jokic pass where he thinks he's like this unbelievable player, and it'll just make you laugh because it's like, man, that was just a comical level turnover. But legitimately does have good vision. Like I think within a, a scheme like the Nets, like he'll he'll keep the ball moving to Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving, and and he's also a pretty good role guy as well. Uh, so I, I think in Drummond, you know, I know the Nets were hurting a little bit for a. Uh, a front court player, like, and he was a late addition. He was kind of a compromise, it seems like, in between Matisse Thibel and these picks. So they were like, "All right, well, give us Drummond because we need him on the front line." Uh, he was, I think, he was the best backup center the Sixers had during that Embiid era. And I, you know, I, I don't know if he can play on the court with Ben Simmons at the same time, just because of their spacing issues. But he's going to help the Nets. Like, I, I'd imagine he'll play like twenty minutes a game for them and help them. For for Seth Curry, we know he's shooting. You know, one of the best shooters in the league. What is he like on the defensive end, and what is he like as a ball handler distributor? So, so the ball handling thing was what was so enjoyable about his season this year because when the Sixers acquired him, I just thought, man, great outside shooter. He'll help their spacing, and he did. Like he was kind of a perfect player to put around Ben and Joel when uh, when they played last year. So this year, Ben's not there, so that's like a decent amount of your uh, your playmaking, your initiation is gone. They, I'm telling you, man, they they ran this little side pick and roll with Embiid and Curry. And we, we mentioned Redick earlier. Embiid had great chemistry with him earlier on in this like dribble handoff play that was this thing. Seth had this this pick and roll that they, they would run to basically stop runs. And he is just, I mean, I, I'm blanking on what he's at now. Like he was shooting like 55, 56% on mid-range jumpers, it just felt automatic. And those were shots that he was creating. You know, I know he's getting the screen from Embiid. So a better playmaker than I thought. Here, the issues with him are that despite being such a great shooter, he's a little more reluctant than you would want. Like he's a little, he's a little particular. He needs to be wide open. And some of that is just that he's small and he doesn't have the greatest release in the world. He likes to take that mid-range jumper. So that's kind of the issue. But I think overall, um, Great offensive player. He's going to help the Nets a lot. I just wonder a little bit how much of that pick and roll he's going to run just because the Nets, unlike the Sixers, have the two guys who can can run offense uh, through. Defensively, he's uh, he's an issue. Like, he's, he's you have to work around it. He's uh, I, I know the Sixers probably aren't getting that much better with James Harden, but I don't think they're getting that much worse either. He's a, a smaller, slower defender, and I think sometimes, you know, he, he – he struggles with like switching and some of the mental aspects when it comes to processing on uh, on defense. The scheme, like he got, it's funny. The playoff series last year against the Hawks, when Ben Simmons completely melted down, Seth Curry had he was on a heater like I've never seen. Like he was making like four or five threes a night. He was unbelievable. The problem was he was also getting completely lit up on the other end of the court. Kevin Herter was the guy. Lou Williams, like. Not exactly Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Those guys were lighting him up on switches on the other end of the court. So that's something that the Nets are going to have to work around. But I mean, for for an offensive framework, like a guy as a second second guard, he's overqualified to do it. Like lights out offensive player, honestly. 
uh, before the last question I'll have for you is: Do we have any sense? I mean, so Ben Simmons, you know, he obviously was out for the team not because of physical, but because of mental. Um, have you heard of anything of like, let's say the trade hadn't happened and would he have played in Philly? Who knows? But like, how quickly? Because we're here in Brooklyn, we're just wondering. When's he going to play? You know, we, we have no clue. And it's almost, it, you know, there's like a conspiracy theory out there. Like he kind of actually needs a long ramp up uh, to justify the absence in Philly on some level. So are you hearing anything? Do you have any idea of what shape he may be into? I can't, I, I have not heard anything recently about it. The one thing I will say is from a, a conditioning standpoint, Ben Simmons, one of the most finely tuned athletes I've seen. That guy, whether it's him taking care of his body or just being blessed with this kind of amazing physique, I, that dude, if he's like mentally ready to play, I, like I don't think he would have to warm up too much to play. Like that guy, Embiid is kind of on the opposite spectrum of that, right? He's the guy who has to really take his conditioning seriously just because he's huge um, and it doesn't come as naturally to him. Ben Simmons, like, that's like roll the ball out there. That guy's going to be going 100 miles an hour. Um, I, I do think, like, there probably is something to the 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 ramp-up period from a from a mental standpoint. And, I mean, like, look, like the last time we watched this guy play, it was one of the most painful series I've ever watched. Uh, it was, you know, for somebody who I think a lot of his issues are, are frankly his fault, like, for just not getting better, it was still hard to watch. Like, it was still not, like a pleasant thing to see. This was greater than whatever issues he's had. He's, he was clearly working through something. Um, so I think that's probably going to be it, you know, and how he integrates the team. I always wonder too, like, you know, after sitting out for this long year, you know, wherever you get traded, I, I didn't know if it was going to be Brooklyn. Maybe it was going to be Sacramento. Like they got TV cameras there too. They got a lot of, uh, a lot of scrutiny that's going to be placed on you. And he got placed on a team that has a legitimate championship aspiration. So that's, that's more why I think the, uh, the absence is here and, uh, and if he can work through it, you know, but yeah, it's certainly been a long layoff for him. Well, I mean, obviously I think it's March 10th. The, that it's, is it at Philly? It is at Philly. Yeah. I can't imagine even if it have been someone's is back, he's not playing in that game. They're, you know, it's, there's almost no chance unless if Ben Simmons for some reason says I would want to be, subjected to that i mean we've seen everyone remembers kd back to okc lebron back to cleveland philly fans i my brother is a massive philly sports fan i they are a different breed as you know and it it would just i can't imagine it but the drama would be through the roof if they in fact did play against if he decided to play at philly for that game that would be something i agree with you that I'm not sure it will happen. It's been uh it's been a matter of great speculation, I would say, among, you know, Philadelphia media. Like, could this do you think he would actually do it if he was ramped up? And like, you would think he'd be ramped up by that point. Like, we're talking about a month from now at the, at this point. So oh, yeah. um, or would it be a hey, like, you know, my back's hurting me a little bit or something like that? And it's you're right, like it's only it's only one game. If he has to play a playoff series, well then there's no choice. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a circus if that happens, though. And, I mean, it, it's going to be a circus from a media standpoint. But I also think, too, like, unfortunately, like, that's going to be one of the ugliest reactions a player has ever gotten. Uh, you know, I love I love my city. 
uh, we we take things pretty seriously. Just come out in a Santa Claus outfit and just get uh, ready. Just yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. It's, it I, won't uh, be good. But you know, I I there's also like that calculation of like where will the standings be at that point? Like because it's almost like if there's a chance that the Nets do play the 76ers in the playoffs, because we won't really know. Obviously, we don't know what the, what's going to happen. You almost have to get it over with when the game doesn't matter as much. You know, it's it's so complicated. And, that was and the, I would understand why he wouldn't want to play. You and, know, you, and that was a question we were thinking of. Like, I, you know, with the idea of would he have come back to Philadelphia um, and played? Like, I don't think he ever was going to play for the Sixers again. But the I really think, like, the idea of, like, he doesn't want to face that crowd. And I he's going to have to eventually or, you know, I mean, he's, they just traded within the division. So you play, you play two times a year here, regardless of whether it's a playoff series or not. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, it's going to be and, crazy. If the Nets did play the 76ers, Barclays, it, it, this is a Nets podcast, but it's not uncommon for opposing fans to invade the arena. And it's quite easy to get from Philly to Brooklyn. I've done it. For, it's just- it's going to be a wild. If that were, oh, just gosh, that uh, we kind of need that playoff series. It'd be so exciting to see. It would be funny if the NBA, after these kind of two sagas that, uh, in my opinion, are not great for the league, players that don't want to play for their teams, if they were rewarded yeah. with that level of drama, that that level of theater for a playoff series, and it could be an amazing basketball series too, on top of all the circus as well. Uh, look. It's possible. I, it's it's certainly on my radar. So those games would yeah. not be on NBA TV. Those no, would, those would be bumped up. I'll we, tell you what. We were saying those are that's the that's the eight o'clock ABC or the three thirty ABC on Saturday. Maybe pay per view. It yeah. may they may just flip it over to a, a streaming model just for that <laughs> the, that series and say, hey, it's forty five bucks for the series. Let's make some money here, and you'd have to pay because you would just have to see what the human reaction is, and that and again the basketball. It would be, it would be a, a hell of an experiment. Mike, let me so. ask you one question. I know just because yes, we're we're on on this Nets pod here. Uh, yes, as somebody who follows them a little closer than I do, mm-hmm. do you think it's Harden would get a similar reaction in in Barclays? No, because the fan base is just is just isn't. It's not the same at all. Uh, people would yell and they would scream, but they would get over it pretty quickly. You know, I mean, trust me, people are fed up with Harden, like the. The last image we have of James Harden as a Brooklyn Net was the uh, Sacramento Kings game where he scored four points, had as many turnovers, if not more turnovers Yikes. than that. I mean, it was his defense was at the level of when Harden didn't realize Twitter existed and he played defense uh, in the NBA, and then he was someone someone told him like, "Hey." when he was in Houston, you need to play defense because people on online are making fun of the way you play. It was that bad. Um, but the thing, it's just a different fan base. And ultimately, you know, if let's say he does play in Brooklyn, like there's going to be a 30% to 40% Sixers fans, if not more anyway. <laughs> so they'll be drowning out the Nets fans. And, you know, but he is not beloved. I, I I'll, here's a real crystallized image here to tell you. I, I had tweeted out that uh, James Harden makes makes me miss Darren Williams, and about a thousand people like that. Now Darren Williams is about as as reviled as a star who came to a team can be without having really done anything bad. Like he was okay. He took them to the playoffs. 
but he was always grumpy. He always complained about injuries, and he never lived up in the moment. But Darren Williams is now more beloved than James Harden. James Harden is not everyone's favorite, but the the reaction is just going to be it, it's not going to be the same thing. So no, unfortunately. I, I, that's what I thought too. But I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rich, you can read Rich at the Athletic. Click on any, go on his Twitter, click on any of the stories that he's written, get him those subscribers numbers. Um, you also Sixers Beat podcast as well with Derek Bodner. Um, Rich, I so appreciate it. I, I, if that playoff series happens, we're going to be talking much more because, gosh, that'd be so exciting. Let's hope it happens, Mike. I think we're all rooting for it.